0: Thank you, I like to glow in the dark. Uh, good morning, if you're, if you're joining us uh, this morning for the first time, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series investigating uh, different tools that a disciple of Jesus needs to have in their toolbox. But, but before we get into that, the first thing I want to do is back up a little bit and review what it actually means <clears throat> to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciple means a learner or a pupil or a student. In Greek, it's mathatos. Say that with me, mathatos. Ah, good. You said Greek. That's awesome. Um, now, before before we skim right over the, over that, um, I think it's imperative. It's vital. It's crucial. It's detrimental. Whatever word you want to use for you to understand the culture and the context of the word when it was spoken so that you don't inject our culture into the word backwards like when it was said, okay? We don't want to insert our meaning of what it means to be a learner or a pupil or a student, but what did it mean to the original hearers of this message? I'm going to give you today a version of of a learner or a pupil or a student, I'm gonna give it to you in a narrative form. In other words, I'm gonna give it to you in story form, stolen directly from Arthur, author, author and, and teacher Francis Chan. Okay, so so here's what Francis Chan would, would say about this. So I my two older kids aren't here today, so I'll pick on them. So I'm gonna I picked on Josiah in the first service, so I'll pick on Judah in this service. Okay. So let's just say for instance Judah needs to clean his room. And so I tell Judah, I'm like, hey, hey, bro, I need you to, your room is a disaster. I need you to clean it, okay? And so I tell him to clean his room, and a couple of days go by, and I go back and check, and his room is still a disaster area. And I'm like, wow. And I go in, and I say, what's the deal, Judah? I mean, why haven't you <laughs> cleaned your room? And he says, well, dad, I, I just want you to know I memorized what you said, like, I, you told me, Judah, clean your room. And I memorized it. That's a good, I mean, that is a good principle, Dad. I should have a clean room. So I memorized it. And then I, I learned how to pronounce the word clean in the Greek, which is katharizo. Katharizo, Dad. And, and, and I even, for, for grins, learned it in Spanish. And then, and then I read a couple of books on how to clean your room. And they were awesome. I mean, they were very descriptive. They told me how to clean my room. They told me what a clean room would look like. It was great. And, and so those were great. And then I, I decided, you know what would really be awesome is if I had a small group over cleaning one's room. And I discussed what it would look like if we all had clean rooms. And if we held ourselves to kind of a higher standard of room cleanliness. And so dad, I did that. And then my best friend came over and... And we mapped out how the room should be cleaned and what it would look like when everything was clean and when it was in its place. We drew a schematic out. And, dude, it's going to look amazing. So, Dad, I just wanted to thank you for telling me to clean my room. And it's going to be good stuff. Thanks, Dad. Okay, so, Jude, I I still need you to clean your room. The the bottom line at the end of the day is the room needs to be clean. And so I think oftentimes this is how we in the knowledge and learning Obsessed West approach being a disciple or a learner or a pupil or a student of Jesus. We're satisfied and, and sometimes even passionate about learning his principles and about learning his instructions and how they have this means of grace to transform our unclean room into a clean room and while never fully really applying his instructions his tactics or his techniques we walk around stuffed full pressed down with biblical knowledge that we never fully apply to the real mess in the room if you merely If you're merely content to learn Jesus' ways, hear me, if you're merely content just to learn his ways, not to apply them, but just to learn them, then you don't need a toolbox today. All you need is a pen and a piece of paper, and you can jot down everything Jesus says. But tools and toolboxes are for apprentices of Jesus, which is what disciple means in the culture and the context of which it was written. An apprentice is one who is learning by practical experience. One might say, what Carolyn's going to be doing would be an apprentice of Jesus. She's, she'll be going to Cambodia and following Jesus into Cambodia. And that's not just foreign missions. It could be your workplace. But what I'm talking today about is the difference between learning about Jesus and learning his ways and actually following him. An apprentice is one who is learning by practical experience under a skilled master of a trade or an art or a calling. Those getting their hands dirty, actually cleaning the room. A vacuum cleaner is a tool. A broom is a tool. A toilet brush (laughs) is a tool. A feather duster is a tool. Jesus was a rabbi, a master teacher, like we have master plumbers and master electricians. He was a master teacher. So he had apprentices that followed him and did what he did. You see the difference? We're content many times to learn what he, to know what he knows, but a disciple is one that does what he does. And so, he was not the only rabbi in Israel. Therefore, he was not the only one that had disciples in the New Testament, in the ancient world. Students and disciples usually sought out a teacher. So they would seek out someone, just like if you wanted to be a a, a plumber, you would seek out a master plumber. You would become his apprentice, and you would go and hands-on work with him in plumbing, and you would learn how to plumb. And that's what they would do in the ancient world with a master teacher of the law. But Jesus reverses that dynamic by calling people to become his disciples. It wasn't those disciples seeing that teacher and then going, I want to follow you. Jesus went to people and said, come follow me. And Jesus didn't establish a school in a particular location. He was an itinerant, wondering preacher-teacher. And thus his disciples literally had to follow him around. Now, let me make it a a very simple and declarative statement today. If you are not following Jesus, you are not his disciple. I know that's vegetables. That's green beans. I don't, it's not sugar. It's not, it's nothing, nothing that we want to hear. But if your disciples follow, so if you're not following, you're not a disciple. Does that make, I mean... I wish I could define it another way. It'd be much easier on me if it was if it was was any other way. But a disciple of Jesus follows him. So you may be a learner, you might be a fan, you might be on his Facebook or Instagram page, but if you're not following him and doing what he does, you're not his disciple. He's not your master, therefore you're not his apprentice. Does that make sense? I'm not debating salvation theology with you. This is not about salvation. I'm clarifying discipleship. And some would say both would be connected. So far in this series, we've learned about intercession and spiritual warfare. And today we're going to look at tools of meditation, Lectio Divina, and centering prayer. And like all tools, the whole point of the, of, uh, the, whole point of the tool is not the tool tools help you get a job done. And so the right tools help you get the right job done. So if some of these are, are new or they're foreign to you, uh, that's all right. Just hang on because um, we all need the right tools in our toolbox. And uh, so these tools help us in the work of prayer. And I might compare them to like earplugs or safety glasses. So they're, they're for our protection and they keep us from getting injured. Safety glasses keep debris out of our eyes. Earplugs keep loud noises from destroying our ears. And both help us to focus more clearly and intently upon what we need to be doing and not worrying about the other things around us. And these prayer tools do the same thing. They're for our protection. And they keep us focused. They're meant to protect our hearts and our souls, and keep us centered and listening to the Holy Spirit, rather than being distracted by all the noise and the busyness of the culture around us. Richard J. Foster, the author of Celebration of Discipline, says in our society today, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged and distracted in muchness and in busyness and being driven, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. If you want to grow in your faith and become closer to God and experience intimacy with Jesus and know the leading of the Holy Spirit, then you must quiet yourself. And all the noise around you, slow down and begin to wait and listen. As our psalm says this morning, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait and listen. It's easy in principle, but harder in application, especially in our culture. Psalm 37.7 says, be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. So, so not only are we to be still and wait for the Lord, but it's just to wait patiently. Ah. I mean, Maybe I can, maybe, maybe I can be still. <laughs> oh, now you're asking me to be patient too? Come on. Patient takes time and effort to learn. And, and most of us don't like it. We don't like to get too still. We don't like to get too quiet. Because when we do, we're, we become acutely aware, don't we? That's why we surround ourselves with, with so much noise. Because when it gets too quiet, when it gets too silent, we become aware of all the anxiousness. We become aware of the loneliness, of the fear, of the brokenness. All the things we like to stuff down And when we become aware and begin living in the present, then we get uncomfortable. And oftentimes we try to mask that discomfort with busyness or noise or some other distraction so that we can push down those feelings and keep ourselves numb on the inside. But what if, what if God really would like to speak to us? What if we allowed the peace of God to bring healing into our life? What if from day one God has been wanting to give us instruction through his word and answer to our prayers? We don't need to be afraid of being still and listening to God. Perhaps, just maybe, before we can obey God, we must learn to listen to God. Could it be that obedience and listening are connected and you can't really have one without the other? Meditation, centering, prayer, and Lectio Divina are tools that help us to wait and listen. Safety glasses and earplugs, they protect our ears and eyes from from dirt and debris and loud noise. Meditation, centering prayer and Lectio protect our hearts and our minds from chaos and the unclean room that the world tries to get us to overlook. These tools aid and they assist us in our focus to hear and to obey. While turning away from the diversions, we turn toward God's word, God's presence, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. When we observe the discipline of meditation, here are a few things that I want you to be aware of. Okay, so as we get into this I want you to understand a few things. The Bible uses two different Hebrew words to illustrate the idea of meditation. And together, they're used 58 times. And these words have various meanings, such as listening to God's word, reflecting on God's word, rehearsing God's deeds, and ruminating on God's law. Psalm 1, 1 through 2 says, blessed. So there's the promise so blessed is the man who walks not this is talking about active non participation blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers so right here we have blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight. That means his absolute pleasure, not his religious obligation, but his absolute pleasure is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, depending on what background you're from, you hear the word law, and immediately you go to law, or some of you go Johnny Law. You know, the 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 main thing you're thinking about, dude, is like that guy with the radar gun or someone to bust you because you're you're on the edge of right and wrong, dude, and he's he's there. Mm, Law. It's harsh. If you have a problem with the word law, sorry, there are some. But here's the other thing Law. Okay? Instructions, principles of God, his habits. So the habits, the instructions, the principles of God. How many of you know God has some principles? Like if you follow these things, just like you as parents have principles. Now, we know, we're not going to call it, there's, some of us. I, there's a law in this house, boy. You know, it, so We have that, but a lot of times it's like it goes a lot better if we go, now here's a principle you should follow. Uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't pour gasoline on a fire, son. Like, we have these principles. Like, it will go well with you if uh, you don't sass your mom when she tells you to do something. Because you might find your face off of your face and on the floor. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, these are great principles to remember. So we meditate on his ways, his instructions. So our meditation, our deliberate focus as Jesus' apprentice is not on the advice of the wicked, it's not on the tactics and the methods of sinners or on the arrogant scoffing of the godless. Breaking down this Psalms scripture for you. Our meditation, our deliberate focus as Jesus apprentices is on the principles, the disciplines, and the instruction of God. Now before we go any further, I want to establish the difference between Scripture's idea of meditation and the world's idea of meditation because remember we're not taking the world's advice or tactics or methods most secular unbiblical concepts of meditation involve emptying one's mind of all things distracting and entering into a state of relaxation or higher consciousness meditation in a scriptural sense is actually just the opposite it means to fill One's consciousness with the word of God to savor or devour it with deep delight. Think of a dog with a rawhide bone, he's going to take that bone off to a quiet place where he can meditate (laughs) and savor and devour that bone without distraction. And after a good hour or so of getting every shred of anything resembling meat off that bone, he's going to take it out in the yard or he's going to hide it for later. And later, he'll come back and he'll dig it up and he'll continue to gnaw on that bone until he breaks into the marrow. Little by little, that bone disappears until it's completely consumed. Scripture says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night, just like a dog with a bone. Do you gnaw on God's word? Do you savor and ponder what God says? It takes time. It requires us to listen and to focus. Do you swallow the word of God and allow it to actually become a part of you? This is how we're nourished by God's word. Remember, one of the Hebrew meanings for meditation is ruminate. Cows ruminate. They have four different stomachs which involve a digestive process in which they swallow food, then they digest the food, and then they regurgitate it back into their mouth in the form of cud, and then they chew on it more, extracting more and more goodness. They ruminate. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous theologian, says, uh, The word... Of Scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long. Just like the words of someone you love, and just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you. Accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But what does it say to me? And then ponder this Word long in your heart until it's gone right into you and taken possession of you. When's the last time you read the word like that? So, when we meditate on the word of God, we are pondering, we are ruminating on, we are chewing the cud, so to speak, of the word. The psalmist says to meditate day and night, begin and end your day pondering and reflecting on God's word. And too often, We meditate and delight on everything else. Like social media. Or for some others, it's their email or their favorite TV show or the ball game or music. Every spare moment we have, we're sneaking something to set our heart upon. It's innate. It's built into us. To fill our hearts and meditate on something. In fact, we delight in it. We're created this way. It's not that we don't know how to meditate. We meditate, but on the wrong things often. Imagine if we had that same delight in craving the word, the instruction, the voice of God, our Father. Would it change our whole life? If we delighted in God to the degree that we delight in just about everything besides Him, the Psalms sing of people meditating upon the law of God. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, my eyes are awake before each watch of the night that I may meditate. On your promise. Genesis 24 says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. In 1 Samuel, the priest Eli knew how to listen to God and helped the boy Samuel know the word of the Lord. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah spent many a day and night in the wilderness learning to discern the still small voice of Yahweh. Yahweh. Jeremiah discovered the word of God to be a burning fire shut up in my bones. Christian meditation as his apprentice is simply the ability to hear God's voice and follow through in obedience. Let me say it again meditation as his apprentice is simply the ability to hear his voice and follow through in obedience to his word. It's really that simple. The truth, the truth is that God desires our fellowship. The purpose of meditation is to develop intimacy and passion with Jesus. Meditation is when we practice being present, God being present with us every moment of every hour of every day. So he... This is something we kind of already know. We know that God's omnipresent, so he's everywhere all at once. Right, gotcha. But oftentimes we live as though we leave him here and go out there. Or I'm going to have my time with God this morning because I'm going to have a busy day. As if if God's going to be like, well, see you later because I don't have time to go with you. He's present with us. If you're his apprentice, then you're following him. There's nothing about that that means he's not present. He, by default, is present in all we do. And so, learning to live and practice God being present with us every moment of every hour of every day, it is practicing the reality. It is practicing this principle that's already a reality he's already present with us it's being cognizant of his presence how would that change the way we live it's when we learn to pray or communicate talk and listen without ceasing where prayer communicating with God becomes a lifestyle so if, if prayer is this mystery to you if you're like and, and it was for me for a long time in my life prayer is communication it's communicating with God. And so it would be like if my wife and I have every Saturday morning for our entire marriage, we've had talk times, what we call it. And it's supposed to be undisrupted, no kids, just us, and we're talking. And we spend our morning communicating. Okay, so as a guy, I've had to learn how to communicate, of course. Women seem to come by naturally, but I've had to learn communication and I've had to learn that communicating means if if I'm talking to my wife or for that matter, any of you, if we're having a conversation, then I say, hey, Will, how was your day? And then Will would respond and I would listen. But many times in our prayer life or sometimes even with each other, we're like, Will, how was your day? And he goes, well, well, mine was awesome. Let me tell you. And we just go in, we, we fill the room with noise. We're not interested in having a communication. We're interested in having monologue, and I want Will to listen to me. That's, that's not communication. That's a monologue. And many of us, that's our prayer life. Here's my laundry list, Lord. Thank you, good day. There is no ebb and flow. Because prayer is a conversation. It's okay to have the laundry list. But once you give it to him, shh. Oh, but that's what we're afraid of, isn't it? Because if I give you your laundry list, you may tell me how to handle it. And I might not, la 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 la, wanna know. When we engage the scripture for transformation, we engage our minds and our hearts. Are we doing time for God or are we spending time with God? It's the difference between studying a textbook to pass a test versus reading a love letter and savoring every word, pondering its meaning and reading it over and over. One way gives you the facts, but the other way gives you intimacy. Just as we wear eye protection and to protect our vision and earplugs to protect our hearing, there's other ways as well to help us protect what we set our mind upon. And one of those is through centering prayer. Now centering prayer is simply using a symbol or an object such as prayer beads or prayer cards to help keep us focused. Because it's really just a Holy Ghost fidget spinner. Before there were fidget spinners and things that kids could do to keep their attention... We had prayer beads. It's like God knows we're distracted. We had prayer cards. There were these things. There were these tangible things we could put our hands on and use them in prayer. And, and the object holds no power other than it keeps us focused in our communication, talking and listening with God. Prayer cards are a great way to, are a great thing to keep on our, uh, our nightstand, to remind us each day to read the Word of God. To allow the Holy Spirit to examine my heart to see how we did for that day was God in control or was I in control? We can begin each day with the Word of God as well. Prayer beads come in handy here. They can uh, you can make your own prayer beads. We have prayer beads available today in the back if you'd like some. Uh, we we'll, they'll they'll have those for sale. Uh, there's patterns online where you can make your own. Um, But if you're interested, we have them. The prayer beads they come with instructions on how to use them. Lectio Divina is also an effective way to meditate on Scripture. Lectio Divina is, is, is a Latin term, and it just means divine or sacred reading. It's the practice of reading Scripture slowly and then sitting in that silence and waiting. It's a concrete way of entering into the rhythm of conversation. Speaking, listening. Just talking to the men in the room right now, ladies, you can ignore me. Speaking and listening, speaking and listening. And there there's several different styles of Lectio, and here's here's one. So step one, read. Okay, so we read the scripture. Don't just read the passage to get through it. This isn't a race where we're like, dude, my Bible study plan, I'm like sixteen days behind, so I gotta just jam through it. Like, come on. This is just reading the passage and then watching. And listening for the words or phrases that stand out. Actively listen with your heart. What stood out to you? And then don't answer why, just what stands out? What word stands out? Then the second step is to reflect and meditate, the meditation part. Read the passage again and then reflect. Chew on it. Chew on the word and ask yourself why would God illuminate this word or this phrase to me specifically? And then step three is where we respond to the oratio part. Read the passage again and pray and speak and listen, asking God how he wants you to respond to what he's revealing and then be silent and listen for any thought or action or additional conversation that God might want to have with you. How do you think God wants you to respond to what he revealed? Then step four is rest. Usually the most difficult part. Read the passage a final time and then rest in that word. Cease from your striving. Take time to enjoy your relationship with God. The fact that he speaks to you and that he loves you. What did you sense or feel as you rested? And then step five is the resolve. After you rest, then take that phrase, whatever it was that the Lord gave you, that sentence, that word, or action. Take it into your daily life. Activate it and make it part of your day. Listen to it. Reflect on it throughout your day. Pray over it and rest in that word throughout the day. As an apprentice of your master Jesus, how are you going to live what God has revealed or is revealing to you? If you do nothing with it, then it really remains merely knowledge. It's just, I mean. it's great to answer Bible trivia questions, but that's about as useful as it is. But if you act on God's instruction and principles and methods, Methodist, they will transform you. My conversation with God on your behalf, my prayer church, is that you all continue to be transformed into the image and the likeness of your Lord and master Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you, Father, that you have given us tools. And Lord, you are the master and we are the apprentice. And so, Lord, you didn't just hand us a toolbox full of tools and then say, all right, get to work. But Lord, you demonstrated How to use these tools. Your word is full of your principles, your habits, your instruction on how to use these tools. And I thank you, Lord, that that's part of your word. That you promise not to abandon us or to forsake us, Lord. But you've led us, Lord. You gave us these things. You wrote it down for us and you even demonstrated it for us. You came in the flesh and demonstrated these things. God, we love you. And I pray, Father, that we would be your apprentices, Lord. That, Father, we would follow
1: you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and stay up here for just a second, Roman. I'll take this for you. Thank you. So... uh, for those who um, may not know, uh, this is uh, Roman and Angela's last uh, Sunday with us. Uh, they're both retiring from ministry. Uh, Roman has been here seven, seven years. years, and Angela has served on our pastoral care team for Forty-five. four. Oh, I thought you said yeah. 45. I was like, whoa. <laughs> 45 years. You better be careful. Just talk foot. about yeah. your <laughs> mouth off your face, yeah, yeah. man. You'll get in trouble. It's 45 true. years. So, uh, we wanted to take an opportunity before we move forward with the service to, to celebrate them and pray for them. So, I want to invite Angela up here as well. Uh, what we're going to do is if you would just extend your hand, uh, we're going to pray over them and ask the Lord's blessing as they uh, move forward in faithfulness following where, where God is leading them. So, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good. And what evidence of your goodness is, are these two people right here Roman and Angela and their family have been faithful to you, but in their faithfulness to you, they've been a blessing to us. Uh, They have loved us well, they have served us well. And I know you look at their season of life here and your response is, well done. I pray that they would know that, that you were pleased with the way they have been faithful to you uh, as a part of our family here at First United Methodist Church. And I pray that they would know that this is always their family. Yes, God. That we love them and we support them. Not because of what they do for us, but because we love them. And I pray that they would go forward uh, in, in faithfulness. Trusting you to move and work and, and to move and work through them. Yes, Thank you for Roman and Angela. And all that they mean to you and all that they mean to us. And we all pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.